Some of us are old enough to remember back in the 90s, there was this epic Gatorade commercial, uh, Be Like Mike. Remember that song was Be Like Mike? I'm not going to sing it. I could. I got the whole thing memorized. Uh, The Mike in question, of course, is Michael Jordan, who is without doubt the greatest basketball player in history. And um, I think there's a strong amen coming through the live stream from Mark Stanley on that. But um, argue, let's argue. Let's go. Come at me on that. All right. Uh, Michael Jordan was, of course, a cultural phenomenon in, in those days. And everybody wanted to be like Mike. And so it was a genius ad. It's like, you want to be like Mike? Drink Gatorade. Okay. I drink so much Gatorade and I still can't slam dunk a basketball. All right. So I don't know what the deal is. I think it was faulty advertising. No, they had, they had tapped into that, that desire of, uh, you know, of young children especially to imitate and emulate their heroes, right? Be like Mike. And the theory in general is sound, that you, know, you have an opportunity in life to see people who are exemplary in a particular area, and it's like, hey, I can learn something from them, and I should learn something from them, and there's quality and value in imitating them, and as I particularly chase whatever that goal is. You know, today we're processing this, uh, this news for our church with Andy and Lori, and it's a major change. You know, for the last 19 years, we've endured, uh, I said endured. <laughs> you know, I'll never forget. I could tell stories. Um, yeah, we've walked through ministry in a particular way with a particular right family, and so as changes come and they do come, um, we have we need we have a need to think about that in a way that honors God and puts His kingdom first. And so um, today we're going to look at this passage in Philippians two as we see two examples of kingdom first thinking and living. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Listen, Timothy and Epaphroditus they were not perfect. They were blood-bought sinners, right, transformed by the grace of God. But the Apostle Paul presents them to us in Philippians 2 as two models, two examples of what it means to have a Christ-like attitude toward life and ministry. And so in that sense, they are worthy of imitation. So we're going to get into this passage. It's, uh, you know, I think it's be helpful for us to frame it in light of the context of uh, Philippians. I, I would just remind you, listen, Where's Philippi? Let's put it up on the map. <laughs> so uh, here's the deal. So here's Philippi, okay, Philippi. The Apostle Paul hits Philippi on his second missionary journey. Um, Timothy was with him. Timothy is, is from uh, the Galatia, Lystra, and Derby area. So he actually travels with Paul, and he's part of his crew that arrives at Philippi. Now, here's the deal. Philippi is a town that in 42 BC, a major victory was won there related to the history of the Roman Empire. It was therefore, as a city, it was conferred special status that if you were a citizen of Philippi, you were basically treated as if you were a citizen of Rome itself. So it was a a town that was very, very proud of its Roman citizenship, okay? And so Paul spent time there, uh, ends up in jail there, and then on to the rest of the second missionary journey. Later, Paul's imprisoned, and then while he's imprisoned, he writes a letter back to the Philippian church. He has love and care for these folks that he had spent a fair amount of time with and sacrificed for, and so that's the book of Philippians we have in the New Testament. The theme of this letter in general is found in chapter 1, verse 27, which I have in your bulletin for you. Um, 
But the reality is they are called by the Apostle Paul as citizens of heaven to live their lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that verse is actually really hard to translate because the idea is to live as citizens, to conduct themselves as worthy citizens of the gospel. So Paul says, you have citizenship, Philippian Christians, but it's, it's citizenship in the gospel or citizenship in heaven. And therefore, you're called to live in a different way, in a special way. And in chapter 2, Paul focuses on the others-orientedness of that calling, that they're called to a sacrificial mode of living, to not regard their own interests as primary, but instead to regard the interests of others as more important. And Paul explains that in the first few verses of chapter 2, and then he says in in verse 5 of chapter 2, you need to think like Jesus. You need to have the same attitude that Jesus to put on display when he did what? When he stepped out of heaven onto earth, when he took on flesh, when he humbled himself and became obedient to God the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says, there's your, there's your gold standard for what it looks like to live as a worthy citizen of the gospel. It's, it's Christ's absolutely perfect example of selflessness and loving service where he was willing to give all and even, yes, to die for us. And he was exalted, right, by the Father and glorified after his sacrifice. And, and that's right and appropriate and good that that happened with Christ. And so Paul's been explaining this, and he's calling the Philippian believers. And this is a calling for every Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I need to encourage you. You are a citizen of the gospel, a citizen of heaven by faith. And therefore, you're called to live in the particular ways, right, and to think like a citizen of the gospel thinks. And so Paul's been unpacking that. He establishes Jesus as the gold standard. And then he offers, in chapter 2, verses 19 to 30, two specific real-life examples. He says, you know, this, it relates to what's going on with Timothy and Epaphroditus, these two guys that he references here at the end of chapter 2. So let's unpack what's going on here, and I think we'll see how this applies very quickly to this Christ-like, kingdom-first mindset. He's explained this, by the way, Paul is anticipating he may die for the gospel, and he wouldn't die in this imprisonment, but he would ultimately die. So he's thinking about that as well, his sacrifice. And in the meantime, he can't get to Philippi. So he says in verse 19, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. So he says, I'm hoping to send Timothy to you, basically because he can't go. Verse 20, he says, For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. If you pause there in verse 21, some of the wording in, those, in that verse connects immediately back to chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where Paul lays out this principle of do nothing out of self-centeredness, but consider others as more important than yourselves. I mean, that, that language, that trajectory is picked up clearly. And Paul says, you guys know Timothy. That's what he's like. Notice how he describes him, by the way, in verse 20. He's like-minded with the Apostle Paul, lockstep in what they're trying to do in making and maturing disciples of Jesus. By the way, he also says, Timothy genuinely cares for you. Others, maybe not so much. They might be fakers. And there certainly were those that, that kind of came in after Paul would come to a town and they would try to deconstruct his sharing of the gospel and, and do so as they would claim, well, it's for your good, but really they were tearing down the ministry of the gospel. They didn't really care about those people. He says, Timothy really cares. And in fact, in verse 21, he acknowledges that 
that all, meaning many, so many, right, seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but not Timothy. You can count on Timothy to put Jesus first. He goes on in verse 22, but you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. So again, they had time with Timothy. They had seen the evidence of his proven character as a minister of the gospel. Verse 23, therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, meaning whether he lives or dies. And he says, I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. If you pause here at verse 24, we just want to process a little bit what's exemplary about Timothy. And here's where we need to get, okay? We need to get to this place where we recognize that if we value the gospel, we value kingdom work. If, If we are citizens of the gospel, chapter 1, verse 27, if we're citizens of heaven in Philippians 3, right? If we're citizens of God's kingdom, right? If that's true, if we value the gospel, then likewise... We must and we will value kingdom work. There's a kingdom first orientation here. And Paul's laid this groundwork because in the Philippian church context, they were having some squabbles, some disagreements, and he's calling them to unity under this mission of living as citizens of the gospel. And so here he says, let me just, let me just tell you what this looks like. It looks like selfless service, and it looks like the attitude of Jesus modeled in the incarnation. And you know what? It also looks like Timothy. He says, and I hope to send Timothy to you soon, but you know that Timothy is the real deal. You know that Timothy values the gospel, and therefore he values kingdom work. I want to just review these specific characteristics of Timothy that Paul highlights because they're directly applicable to us, okay? So it's not be like Mike, it's be like Tim, all right? Be like Tim. So how? Well, first, he says he's like-minded with the Apostle Paul. He's like-minded. What does that mean? That means he agrees with the message of the apostles. Again, he's in lockstep with the apostles who are delivering the words of Jesus to the world. So there is clearly a need in every one of us, every Christian, to be like-minded with Christ and to be consistent philosophically with the, the gospel that we find in the word of God. Of course, this is, in our context, right, this is a faith-based conviction grounded in God's word. You can be about all kinds of stuff, and all kinds of churches are about all kinds of stuff. But what we want to be about, right, as much as we can, we want to be about being like-minded with the apostles. We want to, we want to be preaching the same message We want to be consistent in living out that message in all the different facets of our lives. And so we've got different ages, different career callings, right? Different life experience. Whatever your situation is, you are called in that situation to be like-minded with Christ in that situation. Which means what? Which means I agree with the word of God and I seek to live my life in light of his word. And Paul says, you know, not everybody's like-minded, but Timothy sure is. He gets it. Now that, that's, again, that's, that's a faith-based conviction that's based on the Word of God. I just wonder, if you look at the aspects of your life, maybe you're in school, at work, at home, the way you act, the way you think, what you say, could you say that it's like-minded with the Lord Jesus? Could you say that you're in lockstep with the apostles? Is it consistent with what we find in the Word of God? Inevitably, we'd all say, oh, there's areas I need growth. There's areas I need to make changes. And the message here be like Timothy. Make those adjustments. Confess your sin. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're in the kingdom. 
So if we value the gospel, then we value kingdom work in that we would be like-minded with Jesus and the apostles. Secondly, Paul describes Timothy as having genuine care for the church. Genuine care for the church. Think about it this way. Uh, with, with Timothy's attitude and his mission and his ministry, right, he wasn't faking it. Uh, Paul commends Timothy because, to the Philippians because he's like, listen, I don't know what these other guys are all about. Maybe they're about money, maybe that whatever else. But Timothy, he's in it for you. I mean, he knows that the best interest, your best interest is the advancement of the gospel in your soul and in your community. And so he says, that's what he's about. So I know that he actually genuinely cares for you. And they would have known that because they experienced that with him. They had lived it with Timothy. And so in, in a sense, Paul says, everybody needs to be like this, where they actually genuinely care for the church and for the people in it. That's why it's so hard to say goodbye to Andy and Lori. That's why it's so hard to, when you make a transition like this, to go, you know what, why is it so difficult? Why are we so emotional? You know, first time I met Andy, I thought, this guy, what is this guy doing, this Packers fan from the Midwest in New Jersey? This doesn't make any sense. Like, it did not compute with me. still doesn't compute, honestly, in many ways. But, you know, here we are, and you just can't even think about sending them off to Iowa of all places, right? You can't think of sending them off without powerful emotions. The bond there. Because there's genuine care, there's, there's an intention in the church to be genuine care for one another. That's faith-driven, right? It says we value people not because of them being like us, not because of what they can do for us. We value the church because Jesus values the church. He says, these other guys, I don't know if they care, but Timothy cares for you. And listen, if you're a citizen of heaven, you're called to care genuinely for the church, to care for people. And that means spending time and, you know, obviously using energy, expending energy in, in relationships with others. And that's a foundational part of what we're called to as believers in Jesus. You know, a third way, uh, verse 21, uh, the Apostle Paul says, he says, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The third way we can be like Timothy is to seek Christ's interests before our own. To seek Christ's interests before our own. Again, it's his kingdom first. And that's really what drew me to this passage as I, in my heart, was processing, you know, this development with Andy and Lori. I'm thinking, you know what? How can we even endure an emotional and dramatic change like that? Well, the, the reason we can endure is because it's his kingdom first. And if the king calls and says, I need Andy and Lori in Iowa, right? Then we say, okay, Lord. Then we send them. And the king calls and says, I need you through a job change, through education, whatever. I need you here instead of there. I need you doing this instead of that, right? When the king calls and we say, okay, because what matters most is not my interests, but it's Christ's interests. And notice that the apostle Paul acknowledges sometimes those don't exactly line up. Like there's a way of thinking in self-centeredness where if you're going to put yourself first, that's going to lead you away from that road of being a citizen of heaven, Right? This is what citizens of, of the gospel are called to. Christ's interests first, his kingdom first, which, by the way, is always ultimately best for you. But there's a worldly way of thinking that says, no, I don't want to give up. I don't want to give. I don't want to sacrifice. I don't want to pay that cost. And the Christian has to process that. And Paul says, you know, Jesus did that in the incarnation, but he says, Timothy has done it. 
You know, Timothy, he actually cares for Christ's interests. That's why he's willing to come and to work with you. These guys that ran with Paul, you know, sometimes you just think, man, those guys had a tough go. Because they'd be like in one town, you know, in prison, beaten, thrown out of one town. They had to change their travel arrangements. You guys go here, meet me there. All, you know, there's a lot of that in Acts. We read about that. You have to kind of put together the pieces. But I mean, Timothy, here, Paul's in prison. Timothy's with him. He's like, Timothy, you got to go. You got to go. I need you to go. And Paul says, I'm glad to send him because it's his kingdom first. Doesn't make it easy, right? But it's what we're called to. Seeking Christ's interest before our own. I wonder, are there specific ways in your life this morning you could think, you know what? I'm, a, I'm, I'm all about my interests there. I wonder if I need a little bit more Jesus first in that moment. A little bit more his kingdom first. The fourth way we can be like Timothy is in this proven character. Verse 22, but you know his proven character. You know, here, here's the deal. Um, because we're citizens of the gospel, citizens of the gospel, we're called to this particular way of life. But as we live, and it's not perfect in our execution of this mission, right? We struggle. But as we live for his kingdom, our character is proven to be legit. It's like it's certified to be the real deal. You know, in certification tests, that's just what they do. They test something to validate whether or not it actually is legitimate. Does it have the quality it's supposed to have? Is it the real thing? And the calling for every Christian, just think about this, for every Christian is not to have the easiest life possible. The calling for every Christian is to conduct yourself as a worthy citizen of the gospel. And as you do so, you will come under stress and face various trials. But when you do face those trials, your character will be proven. You know, this is a, an idea that's reflected all over the New Testament. This idea that, that trials expose what's really going on in our hearts. You have the imagery of, of you know, this, the purifying fire, right? with gold, and that, that dross, the imperfections are burned out and scraped off the top, the top. And what's left is the pure thing, the real deal. And Paul says, Timothy has proven character. I think there's an opportunity here, as all Christians are called to this, there's an opportunity to ask, wait a minute, what have the trials in my life shown about me? What have those hard times, difficult moments shown about me? Is my character proven? Do I have trial-certified faith? Again, not perfect, okay? We understand that. But consistent, persevering, growing, right? Or have the trials in my life exposed that my character struggles? And if you find that that's the case, there's, of course, hope and forgiveness and grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ where we say, Lord, I've been struggling and in this area, this kind of trial, it's exposed to my character. It needs work. There's impurity in there. Lord, help me. Help me to put your kingdom first. Help me to develop proven character. I think about it in terms of physical conditioning, you know, like with, with sports. There's no easy way to get there. You just got to put in the work. You just got to ha- put in the reps. You just got to do it. And in one sense, that's what we're called to as believers. We're called to put in the time, right, to develop this proven character. Now, those are four ways we could be like Tim. There are threats, of course, to valuing kingdom work. If we value the gospel, we value kingdom work. But the fact is, we'll be tempted to value other kingdoms. It could be our kingdom, right? My kingdom first. 
could be my career, or my family sometimes can interfere with my pursuit of Christ, or uh, my educational achievements, or whatever, right? So it's my kingdom first. Or it might be an issue of having distractions. It's not so much I'm chasing another kingdom, it's just I'm just enjoying leisure. And I'm being, being entertained to the point that I'm not valuing kingdom work, I'm valuing my own relaxation and entertainment. Or maybe it's discouragement that threatens our valuing of kingdom work. You know, frankly, kingdom work is hard. No matter what your vocation is, right? To live as a believer in Jesus is hard. To be a part of a church is hard. Because we develop these relationships and inevitably we're going to come to find out that, shockingly, we're not perfect. I mean, some of you it's obvious. But others, right? It takes time to clarify that. The fact that we struggle, right... it means it's going to be hard. You're going to have to work through stuff. You're going to have to be gracious with each other. You're going to have to be humble and willing to, to ask for forgiveness and willing to give forgiveness, right? The fact is, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be losses and gains. And sometimes God will call faithful servants and he'll call them to go to other places. And so we, we value the gospel and so we value kingdom work. And there might be a nagging argument in your mind where you're thinking, you know what, but who's going to look out for me? Just remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 33. He said, seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you're worried about will be provided for you. Jesus says, it's got to be my kingdom first. It's got to be. Now, here's the deal. I want to be really clear about this. So the call to be like Timothy, which of course is just one practical example of somebody who was like Christ, right? That calling is not a calling that says, be like Timothy so that you can get into the kingdom, okay? It's not be like Jesus so that God will forgive you. The assumption for Paul is you already are in the kingdom. You're already in the family. How? By faith. By faith, we are made citizens of the gospel and of heaven, so that, that act of faith, that belief where we repent of our sins and we turn to Jesus and we, we trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for our forgiveness, right? At that moment, you're welcomed into the kingdom. And now we go. And now we live. And we cannot lose that citizenship. But nonetheless, there's a daily challenge to live in light of the fact that we are indeed citizens of the gospel. So we live this way because we're already citizens of the gospel. And Timothy wasn't the only example Watch verse 25. He goes on to now commend to them Epaphroditus. Okay, verse 25. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Okay, here's the deal uh, with Epaphroditus. You probably already know this, but we'll just go over it. And let's show them the map again, Danny, if we can jump jump back there. Epaphroditus was from Philippi most likely, okay? And so here he is. The apostle Paul is probably imprisoned in Rome. Some people think maybe Ephesus, it's more likely Rome. But either way, whether it's Ephesus or Rome, it's a long way, okay? So the Philippian church gathered a collection for Paul, uh, often in Roman imprisonment. The prisoners were responsible for their own daily expenses. And so there was a, a, a burden to provide financially for them. And so they had collected money to provide for the Apostle Paul during his imprisonment. And they sent it from Philippi, either this way or this way. I think this way. But they sent it, one way or the other, they sent it to him in prison. How did they send it? 
on a Sunday morning, they said, is anybody willing to take several months out of your life to deliver this, this gift to the Apostle Paul? We're going to have an interest meeting after church. I don't know if they had an interest meeting. I know they had that announcement. That's how it happened. And they thought, who should go? And you guys know Epaphroditus. Well, maybe you don't. But I mean, it was obvious. Epaphroditus, he was in between jobs. I don't know. He was retired. I don't know. We don't, he was young. He hadn't embarked on his career yet. He was young and single with time and energy to burn. I don't know. Like, we don't know the situation. But we know this. Epaphroditus put his hand up and said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll go. Why? Because if we value the gospel, we value kingdom work. And so Epaphroditus said, I'll go. Now, Paul describes him with these terms, right? My brother, co-worker, fellow soldier. We're going to circle back to those. You know, he ministered greatly to the apostle Paul. He's also, in verse 25, their messenger and minister to Paul's need. So Paul says, he, he was your beloved messenger and, and he was a minister to me. He helped me greatly in this imprisonment. Now, why is Epaphroditus getting sent back? Now, here's what you got to know, okay? Read between the lines. Epaphroditus apparently comes back early from, the, from this mission. And there was maybe a concern, a potential concern that Epaphroditus had failed or that something went sideways, okay? And it wasn't, something didn't work out. So watch what Paul does in verse 26. He says, since he has been longing for you all or for all of you and was distressed because you heard he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphroditus, this is very common, ancient travel, it was dangerous, okay? So um, the fact is, on the trip, most likely, to visit the Apostle Paul to deliver the gift, he contracts some kind of illness. And it was bad, like to the point where he's there to minister to Paul, and instead he ends up laid up, right? And so this guy is sick, and he almost dies, and so he's concerned about the people in Philippi who sent him, right? He's concerned about his mission to deliver to Paul the, the, the goods, and all of this. And so Paul says, God had mercy on him, thankfully, and also on me, because I couldn't have handled it if he had died at that moment. And so Paul says, God was gracious. But then verse 28, for this reason, I am very eager to send him home, send him back, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. So Epaphroditus' homecoming is meant to be a positive thing, not a sign that he didn't do a good job or somehow he failed or whatever. Verse 29 Therefore, Paul says, welcome him in the Lord, receive him back with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. The deal with Epaphroditus is he was willing to make the sacrifice and frankly, it cost him more than he anticipated because he almost paid with his life. Why? Because he was valuing God's kingdom first. And Paul says, this guy's the real deal. And I'm sending him back to you not as a failure, but actually as a model. As a model of what it looks like to be a citizen of the gospel. As a model of what it looks like to think like Jesus. To be willing to sacrifice for others. He says, this guy, he, he, he lived it. So welcome him back with great joy and honor those like him. Now, let's unpack this. What are some ways we can be like Epaphroditus? Well, we realize here quickly that a high view of the gospel results in a high view of kingdom servants, right? Which, in theory, is every believer. 
So when we endeavor to make particular sacrifices for the sake of the kingdom, we have a high view of the gospel, then we have a high view of kingdom servants. We honor them when they make that sacrifice. So we are all called together to be like Epaphroditus, to be like Ep. If you can't spell Epaphroditus, just use Ep, okay? Be like Ep. Uh, first of all, Paul describes him as a brother, okay, as a brother. And Paul didn't, I don't think, I mean, we don't know how much Paul knew him, but we can assume he didn't know him that well, given that he wasn't in Philippi that long. Maybe he knew him, uh, you know, from his time there. But one way or another, as a result of this trip, Paul says, this guy's my brother. Did you know that because of faith in Jesus, we're family? We are family. In fact, our family bond in the body of Christ is eternal, right? Your blood lineage only lasts so long. But this family relationship we have in the body of Christ is forever. That's a faith-based bond there. So maybe there's an exhortation or an opportunity for us to not be afraid of valuing one another highly. It's okay. I mean, part of why we often don't value others highly, don't let people in and create that emotional connection is because sometimes we do have to say goodbye to them. And we're living it today. It hurts when we have to do that, right? It's hard. But that doesn't change the fact that we're family. So here, you know, be like, a, you know, he's, he's the brother, Do we consider the church our family? Secondly, the Apostle Paul describes Epaphroditus, he describes Ep as a co-worker, fellow worker, right? He's on the mission. And this is not merely about the vocational aspect of ministry. This is for every believer. We all have this calling in one way or another as followers of Jesus to contribute to the advancement of the gospel. Some people do it as their vocation, Others don't. It doesn't matter. Either way, there's faith-driven effort here. And Paul says, be like Ep in this. You let faith drive you to pursue what's best for God's kingdom. He is a co-worker. Like worker, there's effort involved there. This is where we have a challenge because in the American experience of Christianity, often, unfortunately, the way people think about it is this. Oh, yeah, we have a church community, and then we pay pastoral employees to do the work of the ministry. That's not right. And I'm not just trying to get out of work, okay? That's not how it's supposed to be. The, the leaders of the church are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We all together are the workers. So that's the calling, right? So we together labor in different ways and in different times and vocational you know, ministers. They are given more time to leverage for the sake of the gospel, to study, to work, to travel, whatever. Praise God for that. We need that. But don't miss it, right? We're all called to this work of valuing the gospel and therefore of being co-workers. So congratulations, you're on board, okay? Uh, you know, here's the deal. We're, we're called to this together. And I like the co in co-worker, because we're not alone in it, right? We're together in this effort. So we can't all do everything, but we can all do something. And so we're called to, to you know, get our hands dirty and let's advance the cause of the gospel. That's where spiritual gifting comes in, right? So God uniquely gifts us to serve in the church body. And he, if you're a follower of Jesus, right? In this church community, you're, you're gifted to use that gifting for the benefit of his, uh, of his glory and for the benefit of his kingdom. So we're called to to get after it, to be at work. And you might just ask, what are the ways that I have expended effort and energy for the sake of God's kingdom? What are the ways? Now, I know enduring sermons is one way, okay? But that's not the only way. 
All right, so there's a calling here. What does it look like for me to, to get after it, right? To work, to be active for the sake of the gospel. Incidentally, if you want help brainstorming that, I'd love to talk to you about it. Just, you know, go out to lunch and talk about, hey, what, is, what has God gifted you in and how can you use it, you know, for his glory? Be careful, you might end up visiting apostles in prison, though, so just, you know, you know watch out. The third way we can be like Ep is uh, in his description as a fellow soldier, so Paul, again, describes him as a brother, co-worker, and then a fellow soldier. There's a recognition here, okay? We are at war. And Paul says, you know, Epaphroditus, he, he was in the trenches with me. How? Well, he delivered this, this financial gift. He almost died because of it. He stood, you know, shoulder to shoulder with Paul in that circumstance. He was willing to be there. The fact is we are at spiritual war, and faithful service is essential for the success of the mission. So you got to recognize that it's not just like an optional thing where it's like, oh, you know, maybe I'll get serious about my Christianity one day and get serious about God's kingdom. No, no, no. Today's the day. If you're a follower of Jesus, the fight is already going on. And yes, there is spiritual war, and we are called to stand shoulder to shoulder in support of one another in the advancement of the gospel. So we need each other in that regard. Paul needed Epaphroditus in his ministry what does is, what is being a fellow soldier look like? Well, think about that for a second. To be a soldier is to be willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. I wonder, are we willing to make a faith-driven sacrifice of any kind for the gospel? Could be time, could be energy, right? Effort, could be money, right? It could be... Uh, focus and, and, you know, material possessions. It could be, I mean, it could be anything. But the question is, am I willing to lay it on the table for Jesus? Epaphroditus is a fellow soldier. I wonder, are you a fellow soldier in this spiritual war that we face? Fourthly, be like Ep. He's described also as a minister and messenger. So this is the practical side where he delivered the gift to Paul, and most likely he delivers the letter of Philippians back to the Philippians. He probably was the one who brought the letter back. So it's kind of uh, interesting to think about that, that he was the guy that, that brought this communication back to the church. But be like him in that you can be a minister. Well, how does that work? Well, we're all called to serve. We're all called to meet needs. That's all Epaphroditus was doing. There was a need. He stepped up, he had the gift, the time, the availability, he took the gift, he went, and he delivered it, he did his job. And so the question is, okay, how can you serve the greater cause of Christ? And before we start to get out, come up with all the reasons why we can't serve, and all the objections to service, just remember what Jesus said, that the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're supposed to, Philippians 2.5, think like Jesus how does that look like in the real world? Well, look at Timothy and look at Epaphroditus and just ask the question, how can I serve for the sake of the kingdom? Where are their needs and how am I equipped to meet those needs? Again, we want to think carefully and seriously about that. And when we do, right, when we do that, what happens? We're then equipped with the worldview and mindset to process sending comings and goings, right? And so, okay, uh, we value the gospel. We value kingdom work. Be like Tim. Be like Ep. Okay, I can see these different ways that I'm, I'm called to, to live and to think and to act in ways that puts God's kingdom first. And therefore, 
that's what I'm going to do. Now, part of that also means um, honoring those who make special sacrifices for the gospel. And, you know, in this particular case, you know, there's a risk of shame with Epaphroditus coming home with a shortened mission. So Paul says, don't give him a hard time because he got sick. Just welcome him home and be thankful he's alive. He was willing to put in the work, okay? So there's a calling for us to honor and value those who make special sacrifices. This is often why I think it's really helpful to read Christian biographies of men and women in days past who have been faithful because it's like, yeah, look at their model, look at their example, and emulate that, follow that. But the other ways we can honor them is by continuing to invest in the mission, to be like them, to rejoice when... We are united with them in relationship and then to participate when it comes time to send them away. Now, here's the deal. This is, again, not just about those who are vocationally in ministry. It's about anyone, any believer who's engaged in this kind of ministry. So how can you invest in the kingdom? How can you put the kingdom first, value the gospel? I was thinking about this in terms of maybe your life stage. So think about it this way. For some of us, for some of you who are younger, uh, you know, you can, you can already, at the, at the beginning of your life, right, you can say, you know what, how can I serve God? And God may put you on a, partic- a particular vocational path, right? I'm going to work in this field. How can I honor God in that career? H- how can I put God first in that? Am I called to full-time vocational ministry? That's an important question to ask. But maybe I'm not. So how can I serve God in, in business or finance or in this trade or whatever it is, right? How can I advance the gospel in that regard? Plan early, young people. And frankly, take the trips. I mean, listen, the church is in great need of people to take time to go and to do the work that needs to be done in various places. Sometimes those are longer trips, but often those are short-term trips where it's like just go meet the need, right? get the job done, be faithful, and come home. And hopefully we'll heed this message and welcome you home right? when, uh, when you come back. But we need people to go. Now, those of us who aren't young, you notice how carefully I worded that, okay? Those of us who aren't as young, uh, we have the opportunity. With greater uh, earning potential, we have greater opportunity to invest in the advancement of the gospel financially. We can also model to others what it looks like in doing this work. We can take advantage of time and even retirement, especially to say, okay, now I've, I've given up my vocational work and now I have extra time to serve for the cause of Christ, I think it's really important, and I think there's been a lot of uh, intentional conversation that's gone into thinking about your retirement in a way that honors glorifies God. I mean, retirement is a blessed time to focus on family, yes, to meet those needs, uh, but it's also a special time where you have a little bit more freedom to, to serve the Lord on a broader, broader scale. And so you might just ask, Lord, where do you have me to serve? What are ways that I can benefit your body? What are, what, are, what are different things, tasks that need to be done that I can do, right? Again, a different life stage provides different opportunities for that. Why? Why would we bother? Well, we see it at the end there of the description with Epaphroditus. Paul says, therefore, welcome him in the Lord, in verse 29, with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ. That phrase, work of Christ, I just want to unpack that, right? It's work that was done for Jesus' kingdom, but it's also work that Jesus called him to. And that is how we process changes in ministry. That is how we walk through different circumstances. We say, Lord Jesus, what have you called us to? 
And when God calls us to it, and, and we respond in faith, we'll see his glory on display. We'll see his kingdom work advance. This is the work that Jesus calls us to. And it's not, again, not just for vocational ministers. It's for all of us. And so we might just ask, you know what? Do I think enough about what Jesus has called me to? How can I work for Christ in my school? How can I do the work of Christ in, in my vocation? And again, there's, there's a million ways we can apply this, but you're going to have to ask the question for your specific circumstance. Okay, Lord, what are you calling me to? If I value the gospel, I value kingdom work, then what does that look like? Listen, we could talk this morning. We could tell stories about, you know, in, in ages past, church history. We, we could t- I'd love to tell you stories about the Reformation, right? We could tell those stories of great sacrifices that was made by men and women. We could talk about Adoniram Judson and Hudson Taylor. We could talk about... Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, we could talk about countless others who have modeled this sacrificial mindset where they've said, you know what? It's not my interest first. It's Christ's interest first. It's his kingdom first. And we can look to those individuals and acknowledge that they were not perfect, not even close, but what they were was forgiven for their sins by the blood of Jesus. And therefore, they're models for us of what it looks like to live with a Christ-centered, his kingdom first mindset. That's what we've got to have. And we don't just need it today. I mean, there's a timely reminder, I think, today of how to process change and what's going on. But the fact is, beloved follower of Jesus, we need it every day, don't we? Because if we value the gospel, then we will value his kingdom work. The question is, will we follow these examples? Would you pray with me right now and let's ask God to help us do just that? Lord, once again, we pause this morning and, Lord, we just, we confess that there's an opportunity here in in this particular day for us to struggle with maybe a a self-centered drive here, that in our lives we struggle to be others-oriented and particularly, Lord, to value your kingdom above all else. Lord, help us in all the variety of of lifestyles we have here, Lord, and and callings. Lord, help us to see how we can put your kingdom first, how we can live as citizens of the gospel, how we can follow, Lord Jesus, your example as you took on flesh for us, as you went to the cross for us, as you were willing to die for us, Lord and as you call us to, to follow that example, Lord, we ask for help, for, for help on how to do that specifically in our circumstances. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to see areas of selfishness and confess those as sin. And Lord, that you would give us clarity on how to move forward in faith. Lord, we think about these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and we know, Lord, they're far from perfect. But in, in this context, the Apostle Paul gives them to us as examples. Lord, we pray that you would help us to follow these examples, to be willing to make sacrifices. And Lord, on a day when we realize that part of the sacrifice for your kingdom may mean sending away those that we love, Lord, we pray that we would be able to do so with open hands and with hearts full of faith in you, that you will use all of us for your glory wherever you send us. Lord, help us to put your kingdom first. We ask for your help to do that this very day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.